Welcome to Pioneering Politicos. Today's episode was recorded several months ago on January 6th, the day that a mob of Trump supporters stormed our nation's capital, embodying the dangers of extremism and political polarization. But ironically, this fiasco at the Capitol was fitting for today's episode, because I'm discussing depolarization and the future of the Republican Party with today's guest, Adam Hoffman. Adam is a student at Princeton University, the editor of the Princeton Tory, the founder of Houston's Day of Unity, and one of the designers of a depolarizing curriculum developed with Open Mind and Heterodox Academy. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Adam. I began my conversation with Adam by asking a broad question. Do you believe that polarization is a threat to our democratic republic? Certainly I do. And I think um, today was proof if we needed any. But yeah, I mean, the bedrock of a democracy is that we're, is the bedrock is a belief that we're all in this together. you know, that the, the policies of one side um, can be tolerated until um, the other side, so to speak, wins. The other side sort of um, takes power. Um, and, you know, it's all channeled through and I think is, um, yeah, again, stands on these pillars of free speech, dialogue, understanding. So I didn't win this time. Let's communicate um, and I'll win next time. Um, you know, that's not to say it's all about winning, um, but I think that is what keeps the um, uh, democracy alive with, of course, the important caveats of no matter who's in charge, you still are respecting certain rights because you appreciate the other side and there is this commonality, um, you know, recognition, we can call it inalienable rights, um, but a recognition of rights that ought to be um, preserved no matter um, who's in power. I asked Adam what inspired him to organize the Day of Unity, and if he had seen any positive results in his community since the annual event started. Here's what he said. I was inspired by what I saw in my community after Hurricane Harvey. Um, So it was um, during this, during just a few months that on one hand, I saw the toxicity of the 2016 presidential election. I saw friendships being torn apart. I saw the social fabric of our country being torn. Um, And then on the other hand, I saw how my community, how my city came together after Hurricane Harvey struck us. Um, At that point, it was no longer a question of, are you red or are you blue? It was, are you my fellow American? Are you my neighbor? And what I saw during Hurricane Harvey was inspiring to me um, and gave me hope that there, that, that the type of, um, that we can have good intentioned, healthy interaction between between people of opposing political ideologies and beliefs and and, um, and, um, parties. Next, I asked Adam about the future of Dave Unity. Yeah, so we had, um, as you know, I don't know how much um, of a background you were able to, t- to look at, but we had our inaugural Day of Unity, um, I suppose it was 2018. Um, and, you know, we had several hundred students. We had Senator Ted Cruz, Congressman Joaquin Castro, 
chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, Democratic Party of Texas, um, Houston's mayor, and tons more of um, really um, fantastic speakers and change makers. Um, so that was that was our inaugural event, and we continue to build off of that. So we had again a um, Day of Unity event um, hosted at Rice um, the next year in 2019 um, through an on the ground um, um, we, we run by an on the ground team. I myself last year, or, or in 2019 rather, was um, uh, abroad. I did a year abroad after high school. Um, but nonetheless, still was involved in the organization and um, did take part to an extent in organizing that. Um, of course, the 2020 um, um, convention, Day of Unity, was canceled because of the pandemic. Um, in 2020, this past year, we were also looking to expand to other cities. Um, all of that is on pause. Um, but that does lead me to um, what I think was, um, you know, now looks like a prescient move that we did um, um, before before the pandemic towards the end of uh, my time in Houston when I was finishing up high school. Um, we recognized the work done in the, done through conventions was um, right, I mean, just informal education of, of a sort. Um, but we wanted to get our um, programs institutionalized so that it can exist beyond uh, my time in Houston, beyond my co-founder's time in Houston, um, so that we wouldn't struggle with, uh, so that the organization wouldn't struggle if there's bad, or bad, but weak leadership on the ground. So we try to institutionalize it and codify it through established, um, established groups. And the second way to do, and the second thing is we wanted to take a step from informal education into formal education, bring our ideas, bring our activities to the classroom. Um, so um, regarding that first point, um, uh, codifying um, uh, our, our work and um, attaching it to institutions, we worked with the Texas with high school Republicans of Texas and Texas high school Democrats, the youth branches of the two parties, um, to actually add to the group's constitutions um, that they are required to engage with our activities. Um, so every year, all of the high school Republican clubs and high school Democrat clubs um, engage with our activities. So on camp on high school campuses, the two clubs are engaging with one another. Um, and then as far as moving to formal education, we saw the best way to do that um, was to um, scale it, right, through our public school system. So for the past um, three, or, or I suppose two years, uh, two and a half years, um, I was working with the Texas Board of Education to turn our ideas into a curriculum. Um, so I partnered with um, Jonathan Heights team at, at, um, at Heterodox Academy, their open mind tool. I worked with a fellow Rafi Grinberg, who's absolutely amazing. Um, and we put together curriculum, again, based on their work um, with um, the additional insight of Div Unity and the high school um, input. So to, to create that, we worked again with Jonathan Heights team, students, teachers, psychologists, um, et cetera. Um, so um, through the lens of psychology, um, the, the curriculum, explores the importance of civic discourse. Um, it, it explores um, um, best practices for civil discourse. Um, and um, 
So kind of the why people are biased, how to overcome that, why people believe what they do, how they believe what they do, why they come to um, act a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. And then ultimately how this all plays into our um, daily lives, into our interactions. Um, um, and that's basically the goal of the course, um, to take all of these lessons learned and, um, um, and implement them into our own lives. And then this past summer, we had that curriculum approved for two years um, um, as part of what's called an innovative course. Um, so, so the course is now available um, through the Texas um, State Board of Education to 700,000 students. So that's something we're very excited about. Um, and then within the next few weeks, we should get some numbers um, on how many um, students um, uh, engage with the material. Um, and then we'll also be able to hopefully run some numbers, see how effective um, it was. So we're really just starting. This, this was our first semester in the classroom, um, but um, we imagine um, given um, open mind success in the corporate setting and in, in um, other settings as well, we imagine that'll really have a significant change. Um, and we are very excited um, about its approval, which happened um, towards the end of this uh, past summer. I then asked Adam if encouraging civil discourse was also part of his mission. Yeah, so, so discourse is not even, yes, I, I would say yes to that, but I don't even think that discourse is necessarily um, our goal. Um, you know, I think discourse implies some sort of, um, discourse implies at the end is persuasion, which I think is actually healthy to change your mind and keep it an open mind such that you can um, change your mind on policy, can change your mind on values. Um, but Dave Unity's um, slogan, motto, or whatever, is person before politics. We are just, our message, my message is just that we ought to respect one another um, as people. Um, and politics, our vision of society, how it ought to be ordered, ought not. Um, be the determining factor in our judgment of another person. We, we shouldn't take people's positions on particular policies um, into a, and, and wage a moralistic indictment of that person um, such that we can't have any sort of relationship. Right? I, I think the relationship part is so important um, because that, that's like the real tie um, that keeps the social fabric of the country together. Adam then commented on the potential expansion of his depolarizing curriculum. Yeah, so we got some interest from Illinois. Um, nothing, um, I, I mean, the priority really was um, to get it done in Texas before we expanded, um, you know, and, and then not only that, we wanted to get feedback on how it's doing in Texas before we expanded, as I mentioned, Hopefully I'll be getting some of those numbers back in the next few weeks. Um, and then, you know, it also is a little bit funky because schools were um, nearly all virtual. Um, so I don't know exactly how, um, you know, virtual, this, this curriculum would um, be implemented virtually versus, or, or how, how the effect of the, and success of the curriculum 
um, would be virtual versus in-person. Um, so the pandemic, like everything else in this world, has thrown a wrench um, in, into our plans somewhat. Uh, but nonetheless, um, we're thinking the next state to do this is um, Illinois. Um, I know I have a friend who's involved in politics there who's really interested in kind of working with their State Board of Education. All State Board of Education has sort of different requirements to get it passed. And this, again, you know, took us about three years to have it passed in Texas. This is, you know, a multi-year process. Um, and then we're also thinking about working through other school networks, so charter schools, are um, a great way, I think, um, that we could scale this, um, working through charter school networks, um, and then finally working through um, networks of religious schools. Um, so New York, for instance, has a strong network of um, religious, Jewish religious state schools um, um, that um, you know, cater to thousands of students and I thought could be another good place to start. In terms, that, um, uh, terms of the art, so to speak, that we use. We then broadened our conversation to politics in general. I then asked Adam about his thoughts on the idea that young Republicans are more liberal than older Republicans. Yeah, sure. I, I think that there's, um, I think a lot of um, polling now that indicates um, that, uh, that kind of lead to that conclusion um, are framed um, through an archaic um, understanding of conservative and liberal. American conservatism, I think in many ways was, um, again, I don't think this is an awful point, but um, was just a coalition of a whole lot of different groups, you know, like falling up on 1980s fusionism, right? So, you know, if a certain young Republican, right, is moving away from sort of the libertarian aspects of the Republican Party, say free trade, then it seems like this person's becoming more liberal, but in fact, they could be moving to another part of the conservative tradition. Um, and I, I think the Republican Party will follow more Burkean um, uh, uh, trajectory. Um, I think that's clear with Trump. Um, I think that's clear with a lot of the um, um, uh, up and coming leaders in the party. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, um, I, I think that you might see, yes, some policy, um, yeah, so, so uh, the, the policy priorities of the Republican Party will certainly change over the next 20 years. I think that happens with every party, that happens every 20 years, but I don't think that means the Republican Party is, is becoming a more liberal. I think I think just what it I think just how conservatism is being interpreted and fallen out will will um will change. I then posed another question to Adam. Are there any strategies that Republican leaders could adopt in order to increase bipartisanship and promote unity? Yeah, so 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 I'll note my my the message of Day of Unity and even my personal mantra has never been bipartisanship. I don't know that that is, um, you know, I, I my personal politics are pretty far to the right, um, so I don't, I, I don't, I, I think bipartisan work um, can be understood um, through a utilitarian lens, right? It can bring about the policy initiatives 
and, and priorities that I care about, but I don't think it's an end unto itself. Um, I do think, however, that it, it is important um, to, um, to depolarize um, um, what's going on in Washington um, and what's going on in the rest of the country. I think, you know, I, I don't think this is a particularly novel point, but it's, there, there's some sort of loop here. You know, what happens in Washington is an expression of the polarization on the ground. Um, but then at the same time, the people on the ground are taking cues from the leaders in Washington. I mean, this is, you know, not exactly, I, I think Schumpeter made like a, a relatively similar point that I'm kind of drawing from in his, you know, book Socialism and Democracy. But um, yeah, so I do think that, yes, Washington is an expression of the people, but Washington also does have a role in um, depolarizing um, the American people. And I think um, there are a few ways to do that. Um, we've become extremely tribal with our politics, with our political party. I think that makes sense. Um, I think it's actually a good thing that the parties now are offering very different visions. Um, in this past election, for instance, Joe Biden was, you know, laying the groundwork for one pathway America can go down, and Donald Trump was laying the pathway for another direction. There were two distinct visions of what this country ought to look like. I think that's actually a good thing that the voters have the choice, um, and voters did make a choice, um, and that's fair. Um, but the issue, right, when, when you have these two distinctive visions of society, I think then it become, really can and does, has become tribal. And the heads of each party become tribal leaders. So when you attack, um, when someone um, attacks Donald Trump, yes, you're attacking the head of my party, but you're also attacking my tribe. You're attacking my ideology. And the more and more tribal we get, the more that ideology becomes baked into our very identity. So you're actually attacking our identity when you attack Donald Trump. Um, and of course, this point is true, I think, for the left. When you attack, um, you know, insert, you know, leader of the left, um, let, let's say Joe Biden. I think Joe, I, I think a lot of support for Joe Biden, and perhaps this is based on, a, you know, my skewed view, both, um, you know, as someone who primarily runs in right-wing circles and the left-wing folks who I do engage with are oftentimes very far to the left because of um, the college campus that I'm on. Um, but some hesitant to say that Joe Biden will play the exact same role that, that Donald Trump plays. But I do think that there are democratic leaders, there are leaders on the left um, who can be similarly qualified as tribal leaders. Um, and an attack on them is really an attack on, on someone's person and identity. Um, so I think what would be really helpful is um, for leaders to come forward and say, yes, I am here, I am running on a certain platform or um, orientation, um, a certain vision of society. But um, an a disagreement with that vision is not an attack on our identity. Um, I, I think that um, becomes really threatening and that's how you fall into um, fall down from the rabbit hole of identitarian politics, which I think is uh, destructive 
um, to the democratic project or for the reasons that I laid out at the very beginning, um, those questions that, uh, to, to your first question. Next, I asked Adam if he had any advice for Joe Biden on how to unite America. I think that um, it, it's a little bit difficult because I do think he has a um, very different um, vision for this country um, than, say, the 74 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump. Um, and he, he's right. So, so let's say um, he doesn't support the Green New Deal. Let's say he, you know, takes a more moderate um, uh, governing uh, governing positions. You know that that's not even going to unify. I don't think. Um, you know the end goals. His end goals will still be the same. I think as like AOC. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's just a question of for AOC versus Joe Biden. What's the best means of getting there? Um, which is a, but the there is a fundamentally different there than um, you know Ted Cruz and Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell. Um, so I, I don't think moderation would, um, you know, even create, you know, kind of um, be the magic answer. Um, I, th I think what could be very important um, is supporting free speech initiatives. Um, I think what could be very important is to, um, yeah, treat, like rec recognize even rhetorically recognize people as all Americans. And yes, we disagree, but um, this is the way our process works. Um, this is what we're going to do. Um, um, like, like, yeah, we, ha we have institutions and channels of um, expressing yourself and let's, let's do it through that. Um, you know, the, the absolute worst thing and you know, why, why this is also important is so that we don't, um, you know, fall into anarchy and, you know, and Become violent, um, so stopping that, and you know, making sure people recognize that um, the way to win, um, win the way to um, you know order a society your way um, is not through violence, and is to kind of work through the American democratic institutions. Finally, I asked Adam if there was anything else that he wanted the public to know about his depolarization efforts and whether he had any new initiatives planned for the future. So, um, right, as, as far as the latter question, uh, the, the um, I think that the public um, ought to know it's at stake, um, that, you know, no matter what they do, um, unless they secede, I suppose, <laughs> um, we're in this together. That's the fact of the matter. Um, and I think that's really important to recognize. Um, and then any sort of recent initiatives? Um, uh, not, I, I mean, I've been working on Day of Unity as sort of the outlet for a lot of, uh, for, for this passion of mine. Um, but beyond Day of Unity, um, I haven't um, um, really done too much. I, I mean, I, I've been pretty involved recently at just Republican politics writ large. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Today's episode was hosted and produced by Jackson Lancer. And to keep up to date about the podcast, follow us on Instagram or Spotify at Pioneering Politicus.